Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgeford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. Without further ado, we're going to get the man of God up that is Dave Baskey. Let's give it up for Dave. I want to pray for you. Let's pray for this man. Father, I thank you so much for the message that Dave's going to bring today. It's going to build our faith in the room. We're going to have a deeper belief in you, Jesus, and what you are all about and what you can do. So we pray that you would anoint him to speak tongues of fire today and that lives would not only be changed, but they would be transformed in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Go on, Dave. Amen. Thanks, so. Morning, guys. How are we all doing? Great. Um, can you believe we're here at the end of October already? Uh, only seven or so weeks until Christmas. Um, yeah, very exciting. Um, but yeah, I feel like this year's gone really fast. Um, and as most of you know, every year, our pastors Kate and Ali pray for a word for the year, uh, for us as a church. And um, yeah, most of you will know at the beginning of this year, Ali shared that the word for the year was breakthrough. And I remember that moment very clearly when he shared this. Uh, I remember my feelings of excitement and expectation of seeing that word um, worked out uh, for myself individually and for us as a church. I was just thinking of all the amazing things and breakthroughs you could see. It's just a really positive word, isn't it? Um, but part of me thinks I was also um, a little bit naive, perhaps, and not really thinking about what often does precede breakthrough. Um, it, it obviously, it can be tough pushing through um, in these seasons of breakthrough. At this point, it would be really good just to put a question out there to you. Um, I'm just interested to know um, who feels like they've seen breakthrough this year so far. So it might be a big breakthrough, but it might be a smaller one as well. If you just put your hands up, that'd be great. Yeah, so quite, quite a few of you. That's really good. And then uh, the second question, you might feel to put your hand up a second time, is uh, who is still waiting for breakthrough? So you might have had some breakthroughs already, but you feel like there's other breakthroughs you're still waiting for and pushing through for. Yes, quite a few of you again. Great, so um, we'll come back to that later. Um, so on the theme of breakthrough, uh, I recently started a new job about, uh, four weeks ago. Uh, and had a, a whole week of training uh, before, was, this is at Nottingham College, I'm, I'm starting as a teacher of maths. And I had a week's training before going into the classroom. Uh, and one day, as part of the training, they asked each of us to share the most memorable moments of the year so far. Um, so I thought for a few seconds, uh, and then the first thing that came into my head um, was a tunnel. If we could bring the tunnel up on screen. I had a picture of um, a tunnel in Paris. Uh, in the summer, we were blessed with this amazing gift that enables us to go on a camping holiday to France. Okay, there it is, a picture of a tunnel in Paris. I know it sounds a bit random. Um, but when we've been on holidays to France before, um, there was one occasion we went, had the roof box, all the camping stuff in, uh, and there was one tunnel that we came to, um, and we actually couldn't fit under the tunnel. And it was a bit embarrassing, it was a bit of a mess. We had to kind of turn around and find a way out of the situation. Um, so this time, I thought I said to Liz, we're not going to take a roof box, we've got a big car now, we'll just cram everything into the car, which we managed somehow. Um, 
and I thought it takes the pressure off of the tunnels, we can just take any tunnel we want, we haven't got a roof box. Um, so we came to this tunnel, um, we went through, and I'm driving along, and all of a sudden I realise I'm driving and I'm, I'm like stooped down like this. Because these tunnels, some of them are really low. Even with that roof box, it feels like I'm going to crash the car into the roof. So I'm driving along like that. I look across at Lizzie in the passenger seat. She's doing the same thing. She's stooped down. <laughs> we must have been in it for about five minutes until we realised we were both doing it. Um, and so they felt a bit silly, set up, set up again. But then later I found myself doing it again. It's just really claustrophobic. It's not nice uh, in some of those tunnels. And we just wanted to get out of there. It felt like we couldn't breathe. Um, so yeah, a few, and a few minutes in, um, we're like, what the heck, how long is this tunnel? It was still going, it felt like we should have been out by then. Um, <clears throat> and this went on and on. And then midway through the tunnel, Liz turned to me, uh, and this is what, the reason that this is the most memorable moment of the year for me. And she just said these words, she says, this tunnel feels like an analogy of our lives right now. Um, and she was dead right. We were in quite a dark place. We were in it for far longer than we anticipated. And we kept wondering when are we going to finally see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I know that sounds, sounds a little bit sad, but it's not. To me, it's a really positive memory because it just made us both laugh so much. Um, and we, we carried on driving through that tunnel. And we still kept ducking, like I say. But we also just kept laughing our heads off at the analogy, the accuracy of the analogy in the place that we found ourselves in both in the, that tunnel uh, and in life in general. So, yeah, we kept driving and driving, uh, kept saying the end must be close now, it must be nearly there. Um, and then finally, we knew we were near the end uh, because there was an overhead sign that said we were 4,000 metres away. Um, even then, 4,000 metres takes longer than you, <laughs> you think. Then a bit later, it was 3,000 metres and so on. Was, oh, gosh. Um, and this was about 30 minutes into the journey, can you believe it? Um, and then since returning home from that holiday, I looked up the tunnel, and it turns out it's one of the longest motorway tunnels in the world. We had no idea. Um, and so, yeah, we've had, we have had some breakthroughs in some area of our lives uh, this year, and, but we're still waiting for breakthrough in other areas. It feels like a long, hard slog, as I say, it is part of the course for a pre-breakthrough season. I'm thinking maybe for some of you, life feels a bit like what it did for us in that tunnel. Maybe that analogy is accurate for some of you who are still waiting, thinking, gosh, we should have seen breakthrough by now. Um, different areas, perhaps you're waiting for breakthrough in, in a healing or transformation of a particular relationship. Maybe you're waiting for breakthrough of uh, some spiritual kind. Uh, I feel like all of those things are relevant um, for my message this morning. My message, as you can see on screen, is called Who Believes Wins. That's a take on the slogan, Who Dares Wins, used by the special forces of our country, the SAS. Seasons when we're waiting and pushing for breakthroughs are really tough. And I feel like there's lots of analogies we can make with the selection process for the SAS. I really feel, I love the programme Who Dares Wins. I don't know many of you have seen that. Um, but yeah, I really feel like God speaks to me through, um, through that, and through the selection process. I've always been really interested in what it is to operate in extremes. 
And that's why I've always been fascinated by the special forces and what it takes to pass their selection process. Only a very small percentage of the soldiers that go on the selection process make it into the unit. I believe it's uh, less than 10%. And that process, they don't have a cap on numbers. It's not like we're making it hard so that we only need this number, we don't need this number to get through. Um, it's actually that they've just got a standard and they need to hit that standard. If all the candidates hit that standard, I believe they would recruit every single one of them. And I just think to myself, isn't that process a lot like becoming a strong disciple of Jesus? If we uh, consider the numbers that keep getting whittled down among those following Jesus as we read the Gospels, we see right at the beginning those who couldn't follow Jesus because they wanted to go away, take care of earthly matters. And further down the line, we read of those that were following him, but felt like they could follow him no further because his teachings were becoming too hard to follow. And then further still, only a few were truly able to go to the extremes to really take up their own cross in following Jesus. Psalm 144 verse 1 says, Praise the Lord who is my rock. He trains my hands for war and gives my fingers skill for battle. He trains my hands for war. He's training your hands for war. Um, I don't often do this, but it feels like a good time to do this. If you just say this to the person either side of you, just say to them, he's training your hands for war. always makes you smile doesn't it doing that and it's uh, it's a truth that you're speaking out how does he do that do you think how does he train our hands for war well <clears throat> if we consider the armies of the world such as the SAS their training it just tries to emulate that real thing of war as much as possible it tries to make it as real as possible so much so that you may uh, read sometimes in the news that some Africans die just during the selection process to get in because they make it so real and it seems harsh, but I do believe the only effective way to prepare a soldier for war is to make that selection and that training as real to war as possible. And so it is, I think, with our, our walk, sometimes we can be in situations that require us to battle, that require us to train our hands for war, to battle in prayer and do all those things that it is to battle for the Lord. And um, some, it might be in a season where we can't see much fruit and we're like, why are we facing all this adversity and opposition? I'm not even bringing many people to, to Jesus, perhaps. You just feel like there's no fruit. But sometimes I think that's what, this is what God's doing. He's training you. He's training our hands for worn our fingers, skill for battle. Putting in, in these places and situations where we can battle so that further down the line, where we're up against it and we are seeing more fruit and we are seeing the spoils of war, that we're ready, that we're prepared, that we won't go down. So we're just going to have a look at the journey of discipleship together. There's no set formula for the journey of discipleship, but I believe there's a general pattern that I've noticed in people's journeys. And it's similar to this one that we see demonstrated in the Gospels. I'm going to reference the book of Luke in particular as we track this journey and consider what it takes to progress in discipleship training with Jesus. So I've just picked out some main areas of the SAS selection process. There they are. Um, so initiation number one, two, stamina, three, navigation, 
for capture and interrogation. I'm going to particularly focus on the, the final one. Um, that phase obviously represents the time before the biggest breakthrough, where they get the badge, they've made, they've made it through. And I think it's a place where a lot of us find ourselves on the brink of breakthrough. So looking at number one, initiation, um, I've read lots of different accounts of how the special forces do things and um, they, they vary it up a bit, I believe, um, but it's the same elements. There was one account I read <clears throat> where the selection process started and the group of soldiers were taken into a forest um, and then all of a sudden there was manholes on the ground. They lifted uh, manholes up off the floor, told the soldiers to get in, they put the manholes on top of them and they were confined in this dark, small space for hours and hours and the soldiers weren't told how long they were going to be left there. I think it ended up being about 12 hours or something which must have felt a lot longer. So not a nice start. They then took off the manholes and half the recruits um, gave up straight away. They were like, no, this is, this is not for us. Um, I think they want the soldiers to be under no illusion of what is to come. Um, it re reminds me very much of that initial decision to follow Jesus or not. Jesus tells us clearly that we must renounce all that we have to follow him. We see in Luke chapter 9 various examples of people who gave excuses not to follow, such as they want to say farewell to those at home first. Um, of course, Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Right from the off in our journey, Jesus is clear on the level of commitment and resolve that is required to be his disciple. So initiation, that first big decision, that breakthrough of being saved, of choosing to follow Jesus. Number two, stamina. So of course, extreme levels of fitness are required to progress through the SAS selection process. Um, and have, again, having read lots of different accounts of this from people, uh, I find that the main attribute um, that the soldiers give to, to passing this, to getting through, is that determination not to give up. Yes, they need to be fit, but actually that, the mindset and that determination is what makes the difference. That decision to keep going, to not give up, even when everything is hurting and all seems too much. Again, on my, my training recently at the college, um, we were shown a TED video, a TED talk by this teacher, an expert teacher. Uh, and she was sharing about research that she'd done. She'd come out of teaching to research uh, what makes the difference with students, what um, makes students, some students do really well and others not so much um, throughout their education. Uh, and as part of that research, they investigated everything you can think of. Um, like the, the background, the upbringing, all sorts of things. Uh, but by the end of it, the one thing um, that they found made the most difference was grit. I was really taken aback in this training course at the college. That's not what I expected um, this lady to say. But that's what the research shows. It's, it's grit. Once again, it's that determination to keep going, despite the obstacles, despite the setbacks, to not give up, to be, persevere and keep going. And uh, yeah, it just reminded me again of our walk with Jesus and the difference that that makes. Um, the sermon's called Who Believes Wins. And sometimes it's, it's that simple, having that belief, that faith in Jesus to just sometimes just keep going is what makes the difference.
You might feel like you're in a losing battle, but some of you need to know that God is proud of you. And there's seasons for all of us when it might feel like we're not winning, but sometimes we just simply have to stand to keep our faith and just keep going. There's different breakthroughs along our journey and different size breakthroughs. But the hardest part, as I've said before, each breakthrough is, is that time just, just before. Uh, and when I was writing this, it made me think of um, childbirth. And obviously, I've, I've got plenty of kids and I've been there at the birth, and which somehow is like one of the most amazing experiences of my life and also one of my most traumatic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it just makes me think of breakthrough like the, the level of, of, of pain um, seeing the level of pain that Liz was, was taken to you think, oh my gosh the, the baby must be close uh, and it's not, there's still 10 hours to go and then it, 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 it I won't go into too much detail but then it calms down and, but then there, there's that bit of breakthrough that a, a body is preparing it's getting closer to birth and it's doing what it needs to do and on it goes, pain, breakthrough, pain, breakthrough. And then, of course, the most intense pain, where I believe most people are like, no, can't do this anymore, is when the biggest breakthrough comes and the baby is born. I just think that's a great analogy of, of, of pushing through, of breakthrough. <laughs> no drugs either, Liz, was it? Amazing. She's like steel. And um, I believe that's where some of us are, are right now before some of our biggest breakthroughs. I read a quote recently where, which said, when God closes one door, he has another door ready to, ready to open, but it's hell in the hallway. The reason why life can be so difficult is because of the scale of what's behind you, for you, behind the next door in your life. Take heart from that. The enemy wants to stop you in the hallway. He wants you to give up. He wants you to say it's too much. Whereas God wants you to use the trials in the hallway to be shaped by him. To be strengthened for what he has behind the next door for you. I'm going to touch on that again later. Okay. Um, the third main area that I've picked out is navigation. The SAS selection process includes a navigation phase. Part of this involves an exercise known as point-to-point so I believe the soldiers just have just one little basic compass uh, and they use that to navigate to each rendezvous point. They have to identify the location when they're there before they're then given the next reference point that they need to get to. The soldiers need to operate well as part of a team but also individually out there on their own in the wilderness. <clears throat> the route is often unclear but they must, must find their way using the subtle clues of the environment to help. So must we be diligent in hearing, hearing the small, still voice of God to find our way forward. It's part of our, again, part of our discipleship journey, part of our training, that we're out there in the wilderness and we're pushing in and we keep going even when sometimes the Lord's voice may be quiet or we're struggling to hear. Let's consider Jesus in the wilderness at this stage. He fasted for 40 days. He allowed himself to be weakened. And so he didn't depend on his own strength, but God the Father's. He wasn't going to win that battle by his own strength. He had to rely on the Father. 
How many times do we try and find our own solutions to problems when we should be looking to the Father? The word tells us that we shall succeed by his spirit, not by our own strength. Okay, so moving on to the final part of the SAS selection process, which is arguably the most difficult, and it comes at the end. So it's made, made even harder by the fact that at this point, the soldiers are absolutely exhausted mentally and physically. They're just done in. And then comes the most difficult challenge. They're in a place where they're weakened, and then a place where they're the most susceptible to being broken down by the interrogation. And the thing is, the enemy isn't fair. As I said, they try and emulate war as much as possible. And the enemy isn't fair, he doesn't play fair. And that's also true in our discipleship journey with Jesus. The enemy isn't always going to attack um, when we're at our strongest. He's going to attack when we're at our weakest, our most tired, our most vulnerable place. Just like the, in the way he went to Jesus um, in the desert, hoping that he was so weakened. If the interrogation came at the start, that'd be hard enough. But the hardest attack comes, as I say, when they're weakest. If, you've, if you have seen Who Dares Wins uh, on TV, you'll have a little idea as to how challenging this phase is. Um, the soldiers must be able to withstand interrogation so they have an idea of, of what to expect, should that ever happen in reality. Um, also to check that they won't be broken down and forced to give away confidential information. And this, fa this phase involves um, the enemy really coming at them and, and speaking words to them. They try to trick them. They use some words that seem kind at times and they're very aggressive at other times. They use the words to try and break the soldiers. It is really, really intense. And so to pass this final phase, the soldier needs to be mentally strong. And so it is with us. 2 Timothy 2 verse 3 says, Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. At this point, I would say, um, I've touched on that thing of standing, of us having grit and perseverance. And we do need that. There are also times where we need to be more active in battling as well. And it's finding that balance along the way, along the journey. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 to 5 <clears throat> reads, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Just to say, it was David who I quoted earlier saying he trains my hands for war. Yeah, if you read the Psalms... You pick up the anguish that David found himself in so many times. Um, but I think it goes with the territory. He was a man of war. We have all authority in Jesus. But don't be too hard on yourself if you feel like you're in a battle, you're struggling, you're struggling in the battle of your mind. Take up your spiritual armour and, and know that you're attracting the enemy's attention for a reason. You're pushing into your promised land. This could be a whole sermon in itself about around the battle of the mind, but just a couple of points. Um, <clears throat> I think one key here is to recognise um, that not all our thoughts are our own thoughts. When we recognise that thoughts are coming from the enemy, we can then reject all ownership of them. Thoughts of fear, thoughts of what if, what if this happens. 
We need to come away from fear and focus on hope. Just as, as fear can attract uh, bad things and things that we actually fear and can make them reality, just think about what we can do if we focus more on hope. Focus on hope attracts the things that we hope for. It's not easy. Uh, Luke 22, verse, verses 31 to 32. This is uh, Jesus speaking to Peter. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. So there we are. In verse 31... We see the word you twice there. The original Greek word uh, is plural. And the second verse, the word you is singular. So some translations actually um, specify the whole group of disciples. That is what Jesus is saying. Uh, some versions say, Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift each of you like wheat. He wants to, we often think of him sifting Peter, but he wants to sift the whole group of disciples. So here we are, the disciples have received discipleship training from Jesus for three years, and then we've got this massive test at the end of it. Note also here that Satan needs permission. Just like he did with Job, he had to approach God and, and ask permission to sift. And, and God permits it. So why does God permit it? Well, Jesus and Satan's will for you, polar, polar opposites, in a time of sifting. They want totally different outcomes. Some key words here are um, the fact that Jesus says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. He could have said a lot of other things there. He could have said, I, I pray that um, you won't be hurt, that you won't be arrested, or a whole host of things. But it's, it's the faith that he focuses on. Which tells us what's important to both Jesus uh, and Satan. Satan wants to take it away. I feel like it's relatively unimportant to Satan if we're rich or poor, if we're healthy or ill. It's our faith that he wants to take. Who believes wins. It's our faith that brings salvation to ourselves and others. It's faith that protects our hearts and minds. Faith is our superpower to change the world. And that's why Satan will do anything he can to take it from us. Again, I say, who, who believes wins. It's a faith that we need to hold on to. What's also amazing in that scripture is the information that Jesus gives, that he is our intercessor. He's praying that our faith may not fail. So on the one hand, um, I've got Satan and all he's trying to do, the sifting. And then Jesus interceding on, on the other. So the sifting is taking place, but it is limited by Jesus' intercessions. And I believe that we can take heart um, in the same way that Jesus does the same for us. Uh, in biblical times, this thing of sifting, wheat or grain was sifted through a large sieve or strainer, and it was shaken violently. And as that happened, the dirt and the impurities that clung to the grain during the threshing process would be separated 
from the good usable grain. And I think that highlights perfectly, again, the different purposes of Jesus and Satan. That violent shaking, the enemy wants it to, to bring us down. Whereas look what happens if we stand firm. The dirt and impurities that cling to the grain are separated from the good. A cleansing takes place. There's a good purpose in it. God uses these trials for our good, to refine our character and strengthen our faith, and to make us more like Jesus. I know there's times in my life, experiences where things have been difficult, and I've just felt like, God, why can't you just do that thing, you know, like maybe wave your magic wand, boom, get me out of it, solve it just like that. Um, and I've had situations um, where I've seen God do that for other people. It's like, then boom, like the, the, they've been healed inside, the situation's changed. And then later on, I found myself in the same situation, been expecting it. It's like, no, it's been a long journey, pushing through, pushing into God, using the scriptures. But actually, looking back on those times, I can see um, the good that God did in that. He strengthened me. I learned to rely on him, to push in, to him more, to build my faith. Um, yeah, and in fact, I, I had a word at the beginning of the year about growing in strength spiritually. And, and once again, I was a little bit naive, thinking, great, God's just going to do one of those things where I get zapped, and I'm going to have this amazing power and so on. Uh, and then over time, I've realized it's, it's a bit like going to the gym. We need that resistance to build ourselves up. Um, the, and things come against us, we need to push, push in. We need to pray. We need to keep standing in faith. And it's actually that long process sometimes that, that builds that strength. Jesus was confident that Peter would get back up again and go on to strengthen the other disciples. And that's another reason the Lord allows us to have these experiences of testing. So we can learn how to, how to help others grow in faith. Peter would have compassion and mercy for others when helping them, while helping them to avoid the same mistake. Shortly after these words on sifting, um, Jesus is praying in the Mount of Olives. Uh, Luke 22, 39 to 46 says, And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing... Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Um, so in the middle there, we see that an angel strengthened Jesus. And yet the next words are being in agony. So he'd been strengthened, he'd been lifted up, but yet it was, there was still agony there. He was still troubled, understandably. And again, for me, I think sometimes there are times as a Christian where we should pray for something and have such faith that we expect immediacy. Whereas there's other times, like here with Jesus, where actually we just need to battle. We need to battle in prayer. We need to keep pushing through, keep going. 
Jesus didn't immediately have every last bit of agony taken away from him. He was strengthened, yes, and then he kept going, he kept pushing into prayer. How easy is it sometimes to be praying and thinking, this is not working. I'm praying and it's not happening. What's the problem? Sometimes we just need to keep going. It's a battle. It's a prayer battle. Twice here, Jesus instructs the disciples to pray that they may not enter temptation. Jesus on the cross is the biggest breakthrough in history, I believe. And we know what suffering came before that breakthrough. I believe the disciples were also on the threshold of breakthrough. But one of the diff main differences between them and Jesus was here in the Mount of Olives. It was prayer. Jesus' prayers enabled him to resist that temptation. To, to flee and not fulfill his purpose. And it enabled him to stand in the face of adversity. Whereas with the disciples, the lack of prayer is what led them into temptation. To, to not stand, to flee from that persecution that was coming. Starting to round off now. In an actual war situation, <clears throat> as soon as an SAS soldier is captured, planning of a rescue mission for that soldier started immediately. As soon as the headquarters know, that's it. They start planning the rescue mission. And sometimes the soldier might have to wait for days or longer, but that rescue mission will come if the soldier's not already escaped. Likewise with God. No matter where we find ourselves, he's always got a plan. He's always got a way out and a way forward. We just need a balance of grit, determination and action to hold out for the breakthrough. After the journey of discipleship outlined in the Gospels and after the sifting that they went through, what comes next? We have Jesus' resurrection and then we have the disciples experiencing the spiritual breakthrough of Pentecost. Let's continue to pray for each other, empower each other. And I believe that as we experience more of our own individual breakthroughs, that God will release corporate breakthrough in a similar manner to that in the book of Acts. So I have a breakthrough picture to finish. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Let's keep running the race and win the prize. It may feel like it's a long time coming sometimes, but like I said at the beginning, uh, there is light at the end of the tunnel and God will bring breakthrough. So, to close, there's going to be an opportunity to receive prayer now. And I don't feel like I need to ask who needs prayer, because I've already done that earlier when I asked who still needs to see more breakthrough. So, if you put your hand up earlier, I strongly recommend you come forward for prayer. I'm going to make myself available to pray. And we've also got these mighty prayer warriors to pray for you as well. Bless you. Over to you, Sai.